Matthias. Shape your own sound. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of SEO's Rendezvous podcast. Joining us today is the accomplished multi-instrumentalist, composer and educator Steve Kortika. As a full-time performer in New York, he is also a main member of the Brian Newman Quintet Quartet. Hi Steve and welcome to the SEO's podcast. We'd like to ask you a first question. How would you describe your sound? Uh, I would say my sound is, I'm trying to speak from my soul, so I would describe it as an extension of my personality. I guess if I had to use descriptive words, uh, that would be, you know, rambunctious, uh, a little bit untamed, a little bit wild, a little bit dirty, uh, but also uh, kind and uh, representing the people. How is your sound different from the sound of others? What sets you apart? Uh, I think in general I use a lot of force when I play the saxophone so maybe there's more I feel like I'm pretty loud a loud player so I feel like my sound is larger in volume than a lot of cats and um, that's part of why I like Sios is because I can really push these mouthpieces And they've allowed me to explore just how far I can actually push. So uh, I think what makes it unique is that I, I'm really testing the limits of how much the reed can vibrate at one time and kind of walking that fine line. And not a lot of players are willing to do that. And some people don't even like the way that that sounds. So they're not going to even mess with that territory. But uh, in general, I think when people hear me they might remember that aspect of my playing more than anything else. How does your mouthpiece help you get the result you want? What is different compared to the ones you used before? Yeah, I just so I just mentioned that um, the thing I like about Sios is it allows me to push. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what it is about the design. Uh, it kind of reminds me of an Autolink piece a little bit. But... Um, It helps me get the results just by taking the amount of air I'm, I'm putting into the horn, which can be a lot at times. And yeah, what's different about ones that I've used is like I feel a ceiling on those, on those pieces. A lot of times I'll feel like they can't handle the air that I'm putting in or, you know, I can push to a certain level, but then I, I feel the horn pushing back at me and I just don't feel that with any of the pieces I use, or I've cho chosen to use on Sios, whether it's a, like I use the Dana Stevens soprano piece, uh, or my custom pieces, the alto and the tenor piece, um, they all feel great, you know, that I don't feel any pushback, which I've definitely felt on other mouthpieces. What are your influences? I think uh, my influences, I started listening to Charlie Parker. He was the first improviser I heard uh, and then I discovered John Coltrane uh, the, the music of Blue Train really moved me I think that was when I made the decision to become a jazz musician and even though I was listening to those guys like Charlie Parker and Coltrane I never really was able to perfect <laughs> the way they play so uh, they influenced me and I was copying them but 
I still feel like my sound was always coming through because I wasn't that great of a copycat. Uh, but in order to move away from stuff, and like later on, I got into Chris Potter and Joshua Redman, and um, I kind of went backwards from there and started checking out Ben Webster and Coleman Hawkins. And when I say backwards, I don't mean like a step back. I just mean back in time because a lot of what Coleman Hawkins was playing and Ben Webster uh, is also very sophisticated and very advanced in, in a different way. How do you work on your sound? Do you have a specific practice routine? Uh, I don't have a specific routine. And I think that our sounds are a byproduct of our technique, uh, which many people might disagree with. And I'll bet there's probably exercises I can do that would strengthen my tone and my embouchure. Uh, I used to be a, a long tone practicer And I was a classical musician in college. I was a classical major, so I did a lot of long tones and intonation study. And even in high school, I had this really amazing fundamentals teacher in high school, and his name was Joe Basodi. He passed away a couple of years ago. He was 93 at time of passing. And he was huge on fundamentals. He would have me do long tones at metronome equals 40 and Uh, start from very quiet all the way to loud to quiet and I do this in whole notes up in half steps and in octaves so I do B flat to B lowest note on the horn go up an octave go up an octave go up another octave and do it in altissimo and he'd always have you do full range with that and then you do full range vibrato exercises and I was doing these in high school so I feel like I had some pretty good core fundamentals of sounds you know from the very beginning of when I started playing the instrument and having Mr. Basodi as a teacher helped strengthen and harness the control of those things and yeah I mean since that training since my classical training I have not really done any long tone studies I, I've like I said I view it as a byproduct of our our technique so like I feel like your sound is gonna be Uh, highlighted by your execution of your ideas. So I'm always trying to cleanly, and I don't always do this well, but I'm always trying to focus on my articulation and my um, uh, how I project lines You know that I'm playing. Uh, not necessarily articulation, but getting through things cleanly. You know, it's, it's not like I'm sitting there focusing on a passage and thinking about like, well, how am I going to tongue this passage? It's, it's more about Uh, making sure my fingers are lining up with what my brain is telling them to do and my you know my articulation and my fingers sometimes don't agree with each other my my um, technique I've always felt like has not been great I do feel like I'm okay of, of like fat I can play some fast things and stuff like that but coordinating that with articulation can be tricky so um, that's how I work on sound I spend probably 90% of my practice sessions Uh, working on coordination through practicing tunes or um, it's mostly practicing tunes <laughs> to be honest and just creating lines that I hear in my head and that is how I work on sound. What leak always comes back when you play? Could you play it for us please? <laughs> yeah there's a couple that come to mind I wouldn't say there's just one I mean I play a lot of 
things that I've worked out over the years that I just really like. Um, one of these here, the first one is one I got from Phil Woods, and it's just like kind of like a bebop idea. So that's one. Um, it's pretty simple stuff. Uh, one that I I really like because I feel like it's unique to me. I'm sure I got it from somewhere else, but I I just started hearing this. Um, I think I maybe heard Charlie Parker played a couple times and Train do this as well. Um, but this is what I would call the the Steve Cortica lick, and I will probably play this uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, but this one goes like this. Uh, and then I like to do that in a variety of different ways. So, so it's it's kind of closure based in, in closure based, and um, I think I probably picked that up from from some Jerry Berganzi books as well. Uh, just the idea, you know, and then I put my own little rhythm rhythmic spin on it but the enclosure thing is uh very very well attributed to many players over the years but jerry berganzi was the first cat to really codify it and make it something that everybody practices how do you go from one instrument to another could you give us a bit of advice on how to switch from a sax and a clarinet or vice versa yeah doubling is a, it's tricky doubling is is very hard you have to Uh, focus on the instrument that you're trying to learn, of course. So, you know, I would, if I'm trying to pick up a new skill, which could be clarinet or even a different sax, like soprano sax or something, I'll be pretty adamant about starting my practice session with the most difficult thing. So whatever you're trying to learn, start with that. And uh, what I did that I think was really effective on flute and clarinet was I was just trying to solo in all 12 keys on those instruments. And a lot of times I wouldn't even get past the first chord of whatever tune I was working on. A lot of times it was like the blues or something like that. I would just spend a lot, a lot of time just playing over dominant seventh chord ideas and trying to improvise them on flute or on clarinet, on soprano sax, on berry sax. And um, what starts to happen is you find the idiosyncrasies of those instruments, you know. With, with flute, that's going to be very apparent, or with clarinet, it's, it's very different than the saxophone, I think. So there's a lot of things that just jump out where it's like, oh, I should work on this because improvising in this area doesn't come naturally. So uh, I think that's the thing I love about improvisation. It's kind of always guides you to areas where you can uh, use the most work and make great gains as, as a musician and as an improviser. Would you recommend your mouthpiece to someone starting out? Yeah, definitely. Uh, all of them. I think the reason I like them and I think other people would like them is because I'm always trying to do things sound-wise the, the easiest way, like the, the path of least resistance, so to speak. So I play on a pretty soft read. I play on two strength reads. And the tip opening is a little larger, but the softer reads kind of balance that out. So you're able to get a bigger sound, but also not have to use a ton of air to get that largeness of sound. My beef in the past with other mouthpieces and just other, you know, other models of mouthpieces is that uh, you have to use a hard reed. And, you know, 
if you make the tip opening smaller, the harder reed will be fine. It's not going to take a ton of effort, but in my experience, like using harder reeds almost always leads to using more effort and um, physically having to maybe push a little bit harder, and that could be armature strength or you know how you're creating the fulcrum of your armature. But uh, in general, if I can use a softer reed and have a bigger tip opening, it usually leads to ease of play and you can also get a really nice tone that way too. What do you have coming up in the future? Um, some really cool stuff on the horizon. So there's, uh, you know, we, we all have had been dealing with COVID and things like that, but I've been working with the Better Sax community with Jay Metcalf over at Better Sax, which has been just great and awesome. Um, so we've been working on video lessons and I have a course coming out over there, which I'm really excited about. It might even be out by the time this airs, which would be great. Um, and those are just etudes over uh, some of the tracks that he has over there, which I highly suggest checking out. There's um, videos of me talking about the etudes and uh, kind of talking about the key little nuggets of information in the etudes and how to practice them and then harmonically analyzing them so that way you can learn a little bit about jazz theory and uh, improv harmony but also just have like a really great etude to work on while you're working on those things so it's pretty similar to taking a lesson without me <laughs> taking a lesson with me without having to have me be there uh, so that's great uh, recording I'm, I'm always writing music so I'm always trying to record stuff Uh, so I'm going to definitely try and record an album by the end of the summer. I do not have the band picked out. I'm not even done writing the music yet, but I have some cats in mind, and I'll probably record it in Astoria, where I'm living right now. Which album would you recommend? Uh, which album would I recommend? Great question. Uh, there's obviously a lot of great ones, but I would say listen to the title, the first track on Blue Train, if you haven't heard it yet. Um, that was the album that got me to just love jazz and choose to do this for a living. Uh, you have Lee Morgan, uh, John Coltrane, Curtis Fuller, I think Kenny Drews on piano, um, Paul Chambers on bass, Philly Joe Jones on drums, and they are all just playing the most beautiful stuff, like the most swinging, like inventive, harmonic, uh, Just, I can't say enough good things about that album and that track. Um, I'm so glad it was created. And if you haven't heard that one, please go check it out. Uh, I can't, can't say that enough. What is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> uh, okay, so this is a little interesting. I've been listening to Dua Lipa's uh, We're Good. Because what's interesting to me about that song is it starts with like this 2-5 sort of sound. Um, if you listen to it at the beginning of the track, it's it's a 2-5, it's A-flat minor to D-flat 7. And I just think the, the progression is really, really cool. It uses some different elements I've heard in other pop songs. But um, just the way that, that they put that song together, it's really well produced, and I enjoy listening to it when it comes on. So uh, please don't tell anybody. Just kidding. Tell everybody. I don't care. Uh, thanks so much for the interview and thanks for your time and uh, 
hope to see you all soon and please check out my stuff www.stevecortica.com and follow me on social media and have a great day thank you so much for being a part of this steve we're really glad that you agreed to take part in the podcast and for all of you listening well we'll see you in two weeks for the next episode thanks bye